Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. We are going to get into a brand new series. Drum roll, please, as the graphic comes onto the screen. There it is. This week, we are talking about the gifts. Come on, someone say the gifts. I like it. Uh, As you can see up here, we have decorated for Christmas, and I have a number of gifts up here. Don't worry, there's nothing in here, so please don't try to steal any of them after service. I know how you 11 o'clock people are. Are you still, you're holy, but you're still a little hood. All right, I, I understand. Uh, the gifts, and uh, pun intended, I think this series is going to tie a nice little bow on all that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. Um, because during this series, we're going to discuss how you discover and how you begin to operate and steward the gifts that God has entrusted to you. And, and I got to say, I am very excited about this series, and, and pro- probably more excited than I've been about anything in a while that we've done in our church, because here's what I know. I know that every single person in this room has a unique way that God has gifted you and true fulfillment in life is found when you are doing the very thing that God has gifted and called you to do. There is no fulfillment like being in the center of God's will for your life. I also know that there is no greater frustration and no greater unfulfillment than when you aren't quite sure what God has gifted you to do and you feel like you're just sitting on the sidelines kind of spinning your wheels in the spirit. And sadly, I think that is where a lot of Christians live. They attend a church, they do the spiritual things, but they haven't quite figured out why they're on this planet. What, what has God called me to do? Hence the uh, sassy subtitle of this series, Get In Where You Fit In. I feel like that line just needs a little bit of attitude. You better get in where you fit in. Like Everybody's got a place. That's why there's a puzzle up there. Each and every one of us are uniquely fashioned, uniquely shaped, and we fit into a greater masterpiece, the puzzle of what God has called us to do. And I I said a moment ago, I'll say it again, we do not have time for believers to remain bound and unaware of what God has called them to do. Our city needs this church. Our nation needs churches that filled with people that know what God has called and gifted them to do, and they get busy with the business of the kingdom. We, We don't have time for people to just spin their wheels. We gotta discover this stuff. And I believe that over the next couple of weeks, in fact, dare I say, by the time next year starts, everyone in this church will have an opportunity to know what God has gifted them to do and to step into all that God has planned for our future. And I, lo- I long for that day. So we're going we're to talk about that. And our, our key text is uh, found here in the book of 1 Corinthians uh, in chapter 12, verse 4. These are the words of Paul as he begins to discuss some of the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, and he says, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. And then look at this line, a spiritual gift is given to each of us for the common good. So in this text, Paul starts off by making it clear, the spirit of God is the one who distributes all the gifts. He gives a gift to each of us. For our context, I wanna say it like this, the ghost gives the gifts. Oh, you see what I did there, right? Yeah, because if you've been a part of this church for uh, any more than about a month or two, you know that we spent a good chunk of the fall talking about the ghost, the Holy Spirit, and his role in our lives. And as we were nearing the conclusion of that series and thinking about what God would have us talk about as we get into our Christmas series, this idea came up, and, and it started with a phrase that the Holy Spirit dropped into my spirit. And I'll put it on the screen so that you can write it down if you want. But here was the phrase. The ghost is the gateway to the gifts. The ghost is the gateway to the gifts. It sounds like a very Christopher Walken statement, doesn't it? The eyes are the windows to your face. (laughs) 
The ghost is the gateway <laughs> to the gifts. It's true though, the Holy Spirit is the one who leads us into the gifts. As we discussed in our previous series, all of us who have called upon the name of Jesus, we have the Spirit of God living in us. You are indwelt by the Spirit of God. He lives on the inside of you. And for seven weeks, we talked about all the different reasons that the Spirit of God lives on the inside of you. But I think that one of the reasons we didn't discuss, yet we will discuss for the next four weeks, is probably one of the most important. And that is that the ghost exists inside of you to help awaken and discover the gifts that he has entrusted to you. What has he uniquely gifted you to do? What is your purpose, your call on this planet? And so that's what we're gonna spend the majority of our time on today, discovering what our gifts are. Now to do that, um, I wanna start by taking a look at a list of spiritual gifts in scripture. Uh, depending on who you talk to, there is anywhere from 18 to 27 different gifts listed in scripture. And the reason there is a discrepancy there is because some people take individual gifts that are mentioned in the Bible uh, and uh, they delineate between those and some of the categorical lists of gifts in scripture. Uh, some of those would include the gifts like missions. I think celibacy is in there. I won't have you raise your hand if God's called you to that one. Uh, poverty is one of those gifts. Um, I think musicianship and craftsmanship, and there's a lot of different gifts that are mentioned in scripture. While others, they take those individual gifts and they include them in one of the categories outlined in the lists. Uh, but there are three very lengthy lists of gifts in scripture, and they make up about 18 gifts. And there's kind of a universal understanding among all big biblical scholars that those 18 are, are, are available to all of us. So we're going to look at those 18. Fear not, we're not going to look at all 18 of them today. Uh, but here is the list. And by the way, if you want to study these on your own and maybe look up some scriptures, uh, all of these are available on our app on the resource page. You can just click there and, and follow the corresponding scripture. But here are the, the gifts of the spirit listed in the Bible. Faith, discerning of spirits, wisdom, knowledge, encouraging, serving, mercy, giving, leadership, tongues, interpretation of tongues, miracles, healing, apostle, prophet, teacher, preacher, pastor, and evangelist. Now, you'll notice that those last four are, are titles and not necessarily tasks that people do. And that is because the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter four that those last five are the gifts that God has given to the church for the purpose of equipping the saints. So if you're here today and you would say, well, God's never given me a gift. Yes, he has. And you're looking at him right now. I am the Lord's gift to you. <laughs> Sorry it was such a letdown, but there are no returns or exchanges, okay? This is what you get, all right? But God has given those five to the church. Now the others are a number of different tasks or gifts that the God, God has given to, to, uh, to the church to be used for his glory. Now, when I look at that list, I see two options. Option number one, we can dissect each of those 18 over the course of 18 weeks and hope that as we talk through them, some might be able to discover, oh, I think I might be gifted to do that thing. That sounds really like long and frustrating to me. Or option number two, we can spend a single week talking about how each of us discover what God has called us to do. And then we can place that responsibility back in our own hands to mine the scriptures and sort that one out with the Holy Spirit. I vote for the latter because not just uh, for efficiency, <laughs> but because I believe God distributes gifts, but it is our job to discover what those gifts are in our life. 
I think that if you are faithful to seek the heart of God, he will reveal to you what he has called you to do. So today we're gonna focus on just discovery because listen, and I'll say this again, according to the scripture, everybody in this room has a gift. All of you, yes, even you have a gift from God. He's not looking for just some qualified people here and there. No, all of us have a gift from the spirit, but we need to do the work of discovery. So for that, we're gonna look at the book of Romans chapter 12 in one of these uh, long categories of of gifts that uh, Paul writes in scripture. And uh, we're gonna start out in verse one. It says this, therefore, I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your whole life as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to, and then Paul goes on, he begins to list a number of those gifts that we saw in that list. So I think according to this scripture, if we just spend a little bit of time and kind of surgically break this down, we're gonna be able to to discover how God has gifted each of us. So so let's pray as we get into this. And as we pray, I offer you this title for our chat today. I wanna call this Stay on the Altar. Stay on the Altar. Uh, Jesus, right now we pray that um, as we go to your word and we study the scriptures that you would begin to reveal yourself to each and every one of us. Father, I thank you that you do not simply call those that, think that they're qualified. You don't call those that already have it all together, but God, you use normal people, everyday people throughout history. You always have and you always will use us for the purpose of building your church. And we pray right now that as we discuss these things, as we go to your word, that you would awaken in every single person the gifts that you have entrusted to them. I speak over our community. Let no one sit on the sidelines. Let no one watch while the rest of the church is being built by those that are saying yes. But may all of us come together with our gifts, our unique way of doing things. And God, may we work together for your glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Um, I I, I don't think they do this anymore. In fact, I confirmed in the first service, but um, back in the day when I was in elementary school, uh, there was a program known as GATE. Does anybody old enough to remember the GATE program in elementary school? Okay, some of us here, yeah. Uh, GATE was an acronym and it stood for Gifted and Talented Education. And the premise of the GATE program was this, that in any given student body, roughly 10% of those students were uniquely gifted and uniquely talented. They had a certain acumen for things like mathematics or or language or deductive reasoning. Uh, And and, and the goal of this program was to identify that 10% of a student body that was uniquely gifted. And then at some point, while the teacher was teaching one of those subjects in the classroom with the rest of the untalented and ungifted people, they would remove the talented and gifted individuals from that classroom, leaving the plebeians behind. And they would take them into an area where they would teach at a more appropriate level for their intellect. Um, I can remember as a fifth grader, um, my teacher identifying me as having a unique gift and talent in the area of mathematics. Now, don't get too impressed when I say that because I've told you before, I can't do fifth grade math now as an adult. And honestly, by the time I graduated from high school, I barely made it through algebra two. So my teacher saw something in me, but we all know that she was wrong back in the day. 
And yet they identified me as a, a candidate for GATE and uh, they, they brought me into this program. Um, I shared at the first ser- service and I'll share again uh, with your permission. Yes, okay. Uh, too late now, I'm already doing it. Uh, I was told my, talking to my wife about this program the other day in the car and, and she told me that um, she was never invited into GATE. Uh, but when she heard about it in elementary school, in her mind, there was like a field that a bunch of the smart kids walked into and then there was this gate that they actually walked through kind of Narnia style into this very secret and beautiful place. And I told her, yes, that's exactly what it was like. It was a real gate that we walked through. But here's how it would go down. So in the middle of, a, in the middle of class, uh, as the teacher began to get into math, um, I would stand up along with all of my gifted and talented friends and we would exit the classroom and we would make our way across the school campus into a portable uh, where they fanned us with palm branches and they fed us grapes from the cluster and they taught us uh, in a way that was more appropriate for us educated and intellectual people. And I distinctly remember at the end of that hour of training, walking back into the classroom with my inflated head and my chest held high, much to the chagrin of all of my classmates who were not nearly as impressed with my intellect as I was with myself, but it felt good. Until the next year, where it became painfully evident to my teachers that I was not gifted and talented any longer. (laughs) And then I sat with the rest of the human debris (laughs) while the gifted and talented people made their way out of the classroom to their newly appointed portable on the other side of the school. (laughs) Can I share you? So my buddy and Eric and I were talking about this after service. And he's like, yeah, my teacher did the same thing to me. They're like, hey, you're super smart. I'm going to test you for gate. And then he said, after the test, I just never heard anything. (laughs) Hey, Jesus loves you, Eric, all right? He's all about you, bro. They don't know what they were missing out on. (laughs) Yeah, it's no wonder uh, elementary school kids are really insecure. I mean, when this program existed, like, it was definitely creating an us and them mentality. Now, I I don't tell you that story because I want to gloat in my fifth grade intelligence. Um, I don't tell you that story because I want to wallow in my pain as a sixth grader. I tell you that story because I think often that is a picture of how the Church of Jesus Christ works. I think in Christendom, we have our own version of a gate program, if you will. We have this idea that there is a select group of people that God has uniquely gifted, and that select group of people are the ones that he uses for great purposes. But the rest of us, we just kind of sit around in chairs on a Sunday morning, and we don't do anything great for God. We just exist, and we get fed by the truly talented and gifted people but we're just called to survive. We're never called to do anything great with our lives. There there are this, there's this 10% and they have all the visible gifts. We see them on the stages, we see them out front, they're all doing their thing, but but as for me, when I look at that list of 18 gifts, I I don't see anything that resonates with me. There's nothing on there that I can identify and say, yeah, that's that's what I do. And so we just assume that we're unqualified to build the kingdom and we just sit back and relax and coast in the spirit, never doing anything great for God. Can I tell you that is the greatest lie from hell itself? That is not how this thing works. The enemy would love for you to believe that, so you just stay on the sidelines. But let me remind you, as I said a moment ago, and I prayed, God does not call just the qualified people to do certain things. 
God is not looking for the people that already have the gifts and already have the talents and already look like they got their lives put together. No, God is only looking for willing and obedient people that would say, yes, I will do whatever you ask me to do. I might still have some pain in my past and some failures and I might even have a few tattoos on my body, but if you're willing to use me, I am your vessel. I will be used by you. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. All of us are called. We all have some gifts. And the church is not supposed to be made up of 10% of the population that goes off to a portable and huddles together and goes, how are we building this thing? The church is supposed to be made up of everybody bringing their collective gifts together and saying, I want to be used for the glory of God. That's what this is supposed to look like. And Paul affirms that reality as he gets into Romans 12 here by giving us an analogy, an analogy that he uses a number of times in Scripture and again in 1 Corinthians, where he begins to call the body of Christ something similar to the human body. He says, just as the human body is made up of a multitude of parts and each part serves its own function, so it is with the body of Christ. In the body of Christ, every single person has a function, has a part to play, has a role, is a puzzle piece. And when everybody's doing what they're supposed to do, the body is blessed. The body gets to operate the way it was supposed to operate. But when somebody isn't doing what they're called to do, when someone isn't stepping into their gifting and using what God has entrusted to them, it isn't just their life that suffers. The entire body suffers. Let me say this clearly. We all need you to do what God has gifted you to do. It makes all of us better. And, and we'll talk a little bit more about that next week as we break down that analogy of the body and how we're supposed to use our gifts. But for today, in our process of discovery, we can't really graduate to that yet because before we know what our function is, we need to know what body part we are. And, and so today we need to discover what part am I supposed to play? For that, we're gonna go back to this text again. And, and I've divided the remainder of the sermon into two categories. As I look at Romans chapter 12, it is clear to me that the gift discovery process is equal parts practical and spiritual. It's not just this big spiritual mystery. It's actually very practical as well. And so I want to start with the practical and look at, okay, how can I practically sort out what I'm gifted to do? And then we'll conclude with the spiritual. So let's, let's start with the practical. Where are my practical people out? The pragmatists in the room. Never prayed for what you're going to eat for breakfast. You just go to the cabinet and say, that's in there and that's what I'm going to eat. I appreciate the spiritual people that intercede for a half hour over your breakfast, but I'm not that guy. I'm a pragmatist. So let's start with the practical stuff. Uh, Back to Romans chapter 12. Look at what, what Paul says here. He says, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to, and then he goes on to list some of those gifts. Three words I want to focus on, and I have bolded them and underlined them for your viewing pleasure. The words gifts, well and ability. Gifts, well and ability. Paul says, in his grace, God has given you some gifts and those gifts give you the ability to do certain things well. So let's, let's break this down. That word gifts in the Greek is the word charisma. Or if you really want to pronounce it correctly, it's charisma. I always feel like I'm hawking a loogie every time I speak in, in Greek. Charisma. So charisma means this. It is spiritual endowment or divine enablement. Spiritual endowment or divine enablement. In other words, a spiritual gift is something that God has divinely enabled you to do. It's an ability that you have 
that is compelled by the divine. It's God's given ability for the task that he has assigned to you. That is charisma. And that is also where we get the word charismatic, which I want to break down for just a moment because some people are afraid of that word. (laughs) That word charismatic is a very practical word. A charismatic person is somebody who understands, biblically speaking, not necessarily Webster's definition, but biblical definition, a charismatic person is somebody who understands that God has given charisma, divine enablement, to his church, and that they can operate in all 18 of these gifts that are listed in scripture. So with that definition, let me warn you today, if you are at the Father's house and this is your home church, we are a charismatic church. (laughs) We are a church that believes all of the gifts of the Spirit are available to us today. They did not die with the last apostle. We are not one of those churches that says, well, you know, that stuff was true in the Bible, but it's not true today. No, we believe that healing is still for today and words of knowledge are still for today and the prophetic words are still for today. All the gifts of the Spirit are to be in operation in the body of Christ. That's what we believe. That is a charismatic. Not to be confused with a charismaniac, which is what people get freaked out about. (laughs) Those are, you know who those people are. I don't need to tell you who those people are. But we are a charismatic church. We believe in all the gifts. And Paul says that God has given us by his grace, charisma, divine enablement for doing certain things well. Now that tells me something very practical. And again, if you are the note-taking type, write this down because I think this is gonna help you. Your gifting often aligns with your ability. I know that's super simple, but hear it again. Your gifting might be as simple as just looking at what you already have the ability to do. All of us have unique abilities. There are certain things that you just naturally do well. They come more natural to you than they do to other people. And I want to challenge your thinking on that because sometimes we minimize those things and don't think that they are spiritual in nature. But maybe that natural thing is not all that natural. Maybe the reason that you are able to do that thing well is because God birthed in you by divine enablement the ability to do that thing better than some other people. Which means you can't be prideful about it. You don't get to get arrogant about it. It's a gift. It's not something you developed. Well, but I went to school for it. God gave you that mind. Well, I, went to, I learned that trade from somebody. Well, God gave you that ability. It is the ability that he has given you to do certain things well. So, so let me offer some examples. Because again, we look at that list sometimes and we're like, ah, not me. Maybe it is you. Maybe you're the kind of person that folks always seem to come to and ask for advice or, or, or counsel. And you're a trusted voice that they know if, okay, if I come to you and I ask for advice about this thing, I'm gonna get some good counsel on the other side of it. Maybe, just maybe, that's the gift of wisdom. Maybe you have a unique aptitude for technology or for medicine or craftsmanship or academics. Maybe you got the gift of knowledge and you didn't even realize it. Maybe when you pray for people and you intercede on their behalf, God begins to highlight certain scriptures or give you a little thought that he says, hey, go share that with them. And you just thought that was normal. That might be the gift of prophecy in you. Maybe you're good at presenting information. You can stand in front of people and you aren't terrified all the time. Or maybe you are, but you're just good at it. That might be the gift of teaching. Maybe you like to be behind the scenes and you don't like to be out front, but you love the idea of just helping when no one else can see you. That might be the gift of service. 
Maybe you love giving stuff away and it's your greatest joy to see the look on somebody else's face when you give them something. Or maybe God has divinely enabled you to make money and you have the ability to earn a whole lot more than other people. I challenge you to believe, hey, maybe God would use me for generosity. Maybe the reason he's entrusted this to me is so that I can be used as a channel of blessing to other people. This is not complicated stuff. Maybe the thing you already do well is the thing you were called to do. You've been divinely enabled to do that. Now, in light of that, let me ask you a very simple question that might sound incredibly unspiritual, but I think it might be the the, the linchpin between you finding out what God's called you to do or sitting where you're at right now. Let me ask you very simply, what do you already do well? Think about it. What do I already do well? And if that sounds super unspiritual, like a motivational talk and not a biblical truth, let me, let me share with you what Paul says right here after he begins to tell us that God has uniquely gifted each of us with the ability to do certain well. Look at how practical Paul is here. He goes on to say, so if God's given you the ability to prophesy, speak out. If your gift is serving others, well then serve them. If you're a teacher, teach. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If your gift is giving, give generously. This is not complicated stuff, people. <laughs> he doesn't say, okay, get down on your knees. Lord, would you hit me with a lightning bolt and show me what I'm supposed to do? Oh, God. He's like, hey, if you do something good, just go keep doing it. He's very Nike in his theology. Just stink and do it, people. Don't don't minimize what you do because you don't think it's spiritual enough. Oh, this is way too practical. I just build stuff. Well, then build stuff for people in the kingdom of God. Well, I, I just, I, I offer counsel. Well, then counsel people in the, in, the, in the house of God. Like, if you already have the ability to do something, continue to do it, but do it for the glory of God. Because that ability was given to you by God to be used for his glory. So what do you already do well? Secondly, and in keeping with the practical realm, Let me ask you this. What do other spirit-filled people around you acknowledge that you do well? What are the people around you that love God, that hear from Jesus? What are they affirming in you? What are they calling out in you? Remember what Paul said here in 1 Corinthians in our key text. He said that it is the same spirit inside of all of us that distributes the gifts. So so we don't have different spirits. Uh, we, We have the same Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. I love that in our kids' church we teach, you do not have a junior Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. You got the full measure of all of God living on the inside of you, yes, even as a 10 year old, which my 10 year old is in here somewhere listening to me preach right now. Ellie, where you at? Shake your head. Hey, love you, baby girl. Why are you sitting so far back? Backslidden Christian. All right. <laughs> love you. Same spirit that distributes all the gifts, all the gifts. That means that sometimes the spirit of God on the inside of me might begin to call out some of the things that the spirit of God has gifted you to do because he's the one who gave it to you. That means that God will use other people in your life that have his spirit living on the inside of him to begin to speak to and affirm those gifts on the inside of you. It might be a small group leader, it might be a pastor, it might be a teacher or a mentor or a friend or a praying mom, but there are some people, I've seen this time and time again in our life, it comes with the territory. There will be people that God brings around you that are filled with his spirit that will begin to speak to the God things on the inside of you. And if they love you, and if they are hearing from the spirit, they will also begin to correct you when you are not doing things that the spirit has called you to do. Or when you have mistaken your divine ability to do certain things well. In other words, when you think you're good at something, but you ain't very good at it. 
Come on, we all are our worst enemies in that regard. We love to deceive ourselves and think that we are super gifted at something that we may not be very gifted at. Have you ever watched American Idol before? Those are my favorite. <laughs> Let's bring it down to church level. You ever been to that church before where the girl's standing on stage singing does not belong on stage singing because she's being like a cat swung from its tail. It just sounds like, what is happening up there? But the only reason she's up there is because she's the pastor's daughter. You ever been to that church that uh, will hire a pastor because they got a degree from Bible college and it says here, I should be allowed to be a pastor, but they never had a call. They only had a piece of paper that said they should have been doing it and they can't preach the word and they can't lead and they weren't. I'm just saying, some of us think that we're called to do things but maybe it's not the truth. Maybe it's not what you've been uniquely wired to do. And if people love you, they will begin to speak to you and say, hey, sis, bro, that's not your gifting. That's not what you've been called to do, but this is. I'm gonna tell you, I am grateful, yes, for the people in my life that have affirmed the gift of God on the inside of me, but I am also grateful for the person in my life who is willing to have that hard chat with me and say, hey, Tim, this might be what you think you're called to do, but in fact, there's something else. In fact, I'll go as far as to say that I would probably not be doing what I'm doing right now, living where I'm living right now, had it not been for that hard conversation. Let me share. I might've shared this before, I can't remember, but when I, when I look at that, gift, that list of gifts in um, Romans uh, chapter 12 and the 18 that we looked through, um, it is clear to me that I have at least three, maybe four of those gifts, depending on the week. Um, one of them is generosity. The other is leadership. The other one is teaching and preaching. And then depending on the week, pastoring. <laughs> and I say that in jest, but kind of serious as well, because uh, in the Greek, that word pastor is the word poimon, and it means shepherd. And it carries with it the idea of, of caring well for your flock. And there are some weeks that I do really well at that, and other weeks that I do not do very well at that. I, I heard a pastor say one time, um, preaching is a blast. Pastoring sometimes feels like going to hell. And I'm like, yes, it does. <laughs> I can resonate. And you know who you are. Oh, no. <laughs> But, but uh, I, I've always known that I had two of those three to four gifts, but I wasn't always convinced of the other two. And had it not been for a hard conversation with a, a pastor, I don't know that I would have ever stepped into two of those gifts. Uh, my, my background is, is in business. And in my 20s, God divinely enabled, he graced me to build a, a business in our hometown that uh, was rather successful. And because I had the spirit of God on the inside of me, I understood that that success was not to be hoarded to myself, but the reason that God had blessed us was so that we could be a blessing to his kingdom. And so I'd been inspired by some other business people that I had seen use their business to leverage income and resources to, to, to fulfill projects that the pastor had mentioned he wanted to accomplish or you know whatever, support a missionary and all the great stuff that is done in the kingdom with money. And, and so I decided, okay, with our business, I wanna build something that funds the kingdom. And so when a, a building needed to be built or a program needed to be launched or a missionary needed to be supported, our, our business decided, hey, we wanna get behind that. We wanna funnel all this money into the kingdom. And it was a very rewarding time of my life. I knew in my 20s, I was called to generosity and I was called to leadership. That was, that was clear. But my pastor was not convinced that those were the only two things God had called me to do. And so in our 20s, uh, he began to hand off some responsibilities to Robin and I. At first it was, hey, why don't you lead this group? And, and why don't you lead over here? And, and then eventually he asked if we would be interested in stepping in as associate youth pastors for the youth ministry. Uh, the youth pastor at the time was a single guy and Robin was doing a great job with all the ladies. And so uh, he kind of brought me in as her side piece, but he really wanted her to do the, the important stuff. <laughs> but I got to be the, you know, tag along in the process. 
Uh, but then he, he invited me into this 18-month program where he taught theology and doctrine and taught us how to teach and preach. And then he began to entrust certain responsibilities to teach and preach within our community there. And eventually the time came where he felt like we were ready to step into something. And he approached me and he said, I want you and Robin to step in and become the full-time youth pastors here at the church. And I said, I'm sorry, I know what that pays. Absolutely not. <laughs> I am not interested. <laughs> in my mind, I, I was clear on my two gifts, generosity and leadership. I wasn't interested in anything else. And I was, I was happy there. But he, he had one of those chats, like a life-altering chat with me that completely changed my perspective. He started out by saying this. He said, Tim, you think that you're special. Thanks, Pastor. <laughs> because you're young and you're making a bunch of money and you think that it couldn't get any better than this. But I want to tell you that you are not all that special. Okay, cool. Thank you so much. Have a very good day, Pastor. I'll see you later. He said, you're not all that special because if you just look around the greater Bay Area, there's a whole lot of people younger than you making way more money than you are. It's not that unique. You're just a big fish in a small pond. But you get out there in the real world, you really aren't anything special. I'm like, is this going anywhere? Like, are we? <laughs> he said, but let me tell you what is unique about you. Let me tell you what I think you are uniquely gifted to do, divinely enabled to do. As I've given you these opportunities, I've watched as you've stepped in. And I've seen your ability to pastor people. And I've seen what you can do in mining the scriptures and presentation of the word. And that is different than some of the other people I've encountered in my life. And there's gonna come a day where you're gonna to have to make a decision. It will be a fork in the road in the spirit. And you will have to decide, am I going to settle for the low call of God that I think is what he's uniquely wired me to do? Or will I lay a hold of the high call of God and do what he's actually gifted me to do? And that decision is yours to make. So we went back and we fasted and we prayed and I came back a week later and we said, okay, I don't know how this is gonna look, but I'm gonna step in because you see something in me that I don't see in myself. And let me just say today, now years later, 12 years later, I am so grateful that I listened to the Spirit of God speaking through my pastor because I would not be where I am doing what I'm doing had it not been for somebody else calling out the gift of God on the inside of me. And I say that humbly. I, again, these are gifts. This is not anything I get to boast about. I'm just doing what God has called me to do. And he's called you to do some things. So let me ask you the next question. The first question is, what do you already do well? Let me ask now, what are they saying? What are the spirit-filled people around you saying about you? And maybe you don't know what they are saying because you don't have a they. Maybe the only spiritual counsel you get on any given week is found within the 70 minutes you sit inside this rented Scottish Rite facility, but outside of this building, there is nobody calling out the gold on the inside of you. There's no one saying, you've got this gift. You're called to do this. Step into that. Let me encourage you, fix that as soon as possible. Get into a group. Get around some believers that have the Spirit of God on the inside of them. Get around people that are willing to have the hard chats with you and affirm the good stuff on the inside of you. Submit yourself. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Better are wounds from a friend than kisses from an enemy. We need some voices in our lives that are willing to say that. And let me say this. If you already have that circle, maybe you're the leader of that circle, it's time for you to start speaking up. 
It's time for you to begin to look some people in the eye and say, here's what God's called you to do. Here's what he's gifted you to do. I see the gold on the inside of you. Don't get insecure about that. Don't think that that, don't minimize. Don't, don't downplay that. No, that's God on the inside of you. Let's call that thing to the surface. Let's begin to use your gifts for the purpose of the kingdom. I'm all for potlucks and picnics and friendsgivings, but we need some holy moments in our community where the spirit of God begins to sweep into a room and we look people in the eye and we say, this is what God has called you to do. What else is this for if not for that? That's what godly community does. It calls you up. And you never know on the other side of your words, your affirmation could be somebody fulfilling the call of God on their life. So let's call out the gifts in one another. Let's affirm what we see. Now, those are the practicals, very simple. What am I already doing well? And what are other people saying about me? But as I said at the beginning, this is equal parts spiritual and practical. So as we conclude, let's end with the spiritual stuff. And I'll invite the band to come as we uh, get, get prepared here to close up. Romans chapter 12, come back to the beginning of this text with me. Paul starts off this entire chat by saying this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your whole life as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, everybody say then. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Leave that on the screen if you could for me, Taylor, for just a moment. So, so Paul makes it abundantly clear. God has a will for your life, a will for your life. That word will in the Greek is the word thelema. And it means what God has purposed you to do. In other words, will and purpose are synonymous. So we could very easily look at that scripture and say, God has a purpose for your life. God has a plan for your life, a purpose for your life. And he goes on to say that that plan is good and it's pleasing and it's perfect. It fits you like a glove. It aligns with your giftings. It aligns with your talents. It's exactly what he has wired and crafted you to do. I think sometimes we're afraid to step into God's call for our life because we think if we do, if we surrender everything to him, he's gonna make us do something we don't wanna do. Like, oh gosh, if I say yes, he's gonna send me to the other side of the world. I'm gonna have to sit with some tribe and eat bugs while I tell him about Jesus. Some people love that and they're called to do that. I'm over here a city boy, all right? I'm, I'm good where I'm living right now. But for the people that are doing that, it fits them like a glove. And God's plan for your life, it is good, it is pleasing, it is perfect. There is no fulfillment like that call. Let me just say, and I think I can speak for every person living in the center of God's will for their life right now, there is nothing like doing what God has gifted and called us to do. It is the most fulfilling thing on planet Earth. And that exists for all of us. He has a good, pleasing, perfect will for your life. But the discovery of that will, the discovery of that purpose hinges on that four letter word, then, then. In other words, everything I'm about to say is predicated on what I just said. So what I'm about to tell you is that God has a good and pleasing, perfect will for your life. He has a plan for you. But the way you discover that is found in verse one, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your whole life as a sacrifice. Yeah, yeah, he's got a plan for your life. He wants you to discover it, 
but it starts with offering your whole life up as a sacrifice. See, everything we've talked about for the last 35 minutes falls on the other side of that then. So that tells me that before we start looking at what we already do well, and before we start listening to the voices of people around us telling us what we do well, we must first be willing to stand on an altar. Before any of it, we have to do what the title of our sermon suggests to us, stay on the altar. It's been said that the problem with a living sacrifice is that it loves to get off of the altar. It just keeps crawling off. And that statement may or may not make much sense to you depending on our understanding of the analogy that Paul's using here. So let me, let me frame this in. Um, before Jesus came to the planet, church was a pretty bloody place. Um, it was often a place of sacrifice. And it was not uncommon to walk by a temple. There's an altar in the middle of the temple and hear the bleeding of sheep or the neighing of goats because if you look back through the Old Testament, there was a whole lot of reasons we were supposed to sacrifice animals in church. Their bloodshed is what made us right with, with God and what paved the way for the future. And so they would bind up an animal, sheep or a goat, and they would lay it on the altar. And as they laid that animal on the altar, ooh, pistol squat, there we go. The priest would hold a knife up over that sacrifice. Please don't drop it. And they would slit that animal's throat and that sacrifice would make a way for everything that God wanted to do. But, but when that animal was on the altar, its life was spoken for. There was no guessing what was gonna happen next. It was as good as dead. Its life being traded for the purpose of God. And, and Paul is telling us here, in the same way, we are called to live our lives on an altar. He's not talking about sheep here. He's talking about people, <laughs> sheeple. We are called, if we want to discover what God's called us to do, we are called to get on an altar and to stay there, to sacrifice our lives entirely for the purpose of God's kingdom. And if we do this, we can discover what he's called us to do if we live here. But as I said, the problem with the living sacrifice is that it loves to get off the altar. I think we pray prayers like, God, I'll, I give you everything, I give you my life, I just wanna be used by you. Oh, wait a minute, you want me to do what? You want me to forgive that person? You, you want me to get out of my comfort zone? You want me to wake up every single morning and pray, God, how can I be used for your glory today? And then you're gonna show me people I'm supposed to pray for? That just sounds weird, ah, I'm good. God, I'll, I'll do anything for you. You have all of me. You have my whole life. Oh, you want me to tithe though? You're trying to get me to give you my money. Uh, I'm good. I'm gonna get up off that altar for a minute. God, I, I wanna be a, a sacrifice for you. I wanna be used by you. Hey, what's your name, girl? Hey, how you doing over there? What's up? Hey. <laughs> up, down, up, down, up, down, like Catholic Church. Up, down, up, down, up, down. We visit the altar, but few of us live at the altar. Hey, listen, if you want a, a life that's gonna be used by God in supernatural ways, you can't be a visitor of the altar. We have to be living sacrifices. We have to stay on the altar. Now, 
That preach is good, but it's hard in practice, isn't it? Right? It's one of those things that's a whole lot easier said than done. And that's why I think that Paul makes the appeal to us as he does here. Because he, he doesn't just say, hey, if you do this, you're gonna, get a, you're gonna get a gift and a calling and you're gonna discover why God's put you on this planet. He doesn't ask us to sacrifice so that we can get something. He asks us to sacrifice in response to something. But look at how he starts that verse back out. Can you throw that Romans 12 back up on there one more time? Therefore, I urge you brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer yourself up as a living sacrifice in view of God's mercy. I'm asking you to respond. See, for 11 chapters before this scripture, Paul has done a very thorough job of explaining to us how good God has been to us. In chapter one, he says, you have been saved by your faith. In chapter two, he says, can't you see how kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? His love has led you to a place of change. In chapter three, he says that you've received righteousness by faith. In chapter four, he says that I've made promises to you that cannot be revoked. In chapter five, when you wanted nothing to do with God, God still came, sent his son to give his life on your behalf. In chapter six, you've received new life through the waters of baptism. In chapter seven, you've been set free from the power of sin. In chapter eight, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus and nothing can separate you from God's love. Chapter nine, you're a target for God's goodness. Chapter 10, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord is saved. And chapter 11, you are now been grafted into a family. You got brothers and sisters and a father in heaven who loves you more than you could ever fathom. And then in chapter 12, in light of all of that, I plead with you, come to an altar. Lay your life down completely and totally. And bonus, if you live there, you get to discover why you're on this planet. So, so if that's how Paul appeals to the Roman church, that is how I would like to appeal to our church as we start out in this series. Yeah, it's a painful response, but I wanna to appeal to you. Will you lay your life down on an altar? because God's done so much for you. But the bonus on the other side of it, you'll get to discover why you're gifted, what he's called you to do on this planet. So I'm gonna pray to that effect as we, as we close. If you could bow your heads, close your eyes. Let, let me pray this, this morning as we get ready to, to dismiss. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word. We lean in today, we listen. What are you saying to us? What have we kept off that altar? What relationships have we kept off that altar? What, what resources have we kept off that altar? What schedule have we kept off that altar? What, what is causing us to slink on and off of the altar? Would you reveal that to us today? Because I know deep down, all of us are wired for fulfillment and doing what you've called us to do. And so speak to us today. We repent for, for living our lives outside of your call. We wanna live for your glory today. I pray over the next couple of weeks that there would be such great surrender, so many lives laid on an altar, that this place would begin to come alive as people step into what you've uniquely gifted and called them to do. And briefly before we end, I would assume that there's probably at least a couple of people in this room that would say, hey, Tim, um, I, I've never laid my life on that altar before. I, Maybe there's some that are rededicating themselves to that altar, but I've never made that decision or I've been far from God and 
I need to get things right with him before I leave here today. I want to give you an opportunity to do just that. I want to say a very simple prayer with you if you're far from Jesus and you need to come close to him. Uh, But before I do that, I'm going to ask you to do me a huge favor. Nobody's looking around, but I want to pray for you this week by faith. So before we pray, if, if you are here today, you're far from God, you need to get things right with him. Will you quickly lift up your hand and look up at me so that I know who I am praying with? Got you, bro, right there. Yeah, got you. Oh, back there, awesome, yeah. Right on, back there, yes. Yeah, in the back. Come on, awesome. All right, I'm gonna pray this. You can just repeat it after me in your heart. So Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you that you laid your life on an altar for mine. And I choose to follow you. I believe you are Lord. I believe that you resurrected from the grave, that you paid the ultimate price for my sin. And as a result of what you've done, I trade my life in. Now I lay it on an altar for you. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to be your disciple from this day forward until the moment I see you in heaven, you look me in the face and you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy that has been set before you. You have all of me. And I thank you that as of now, I have all of you in return. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, 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 amen. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.